0: praise the Lord <clears throat> hallelujah how's everybody doing this morning hallelujah amen turn your bibles if you would to um psalm eighty five this is the uh what's called the revival chapter it says Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again, so that your people may rejoice in you? Hallelujah. Let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would um, speak these words. Um, Lord, through the um, mouth of a loving Father. Lord, that uh, these are not my words, I'm not the author, I'm not the one who makes the promises and backs them up, Lord, I'm just the messenger. But Lord, I pray that uh, every ear would hear your voice, that they would hear their father this morning, and Lord, that we would uh, be obedient to your promises, Lord, and aware of them, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would shine a light in every heart. Uh, Lord, that there might be a reality check this morning, Lord, with each one of us, Lord, for our benefit and for your glory, Lord. I pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody here says, Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, That's the NIV version. Um, Other translations, it says, New Living says, Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? King James, will you not revive us? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? New King James Version will not. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? And um, so, this scripture clearly is talking about revival. Uh, talking about God being the one who is going to revive us, believers. And so in a very short verse, um, the writer of this psalm really expresses three things very clearly. Number one, the author of revival, the act of reviving or bringing back to life. And the third thing is what is the purpose, uh, which is to make us have joy in our Father again. And so a lot of things are said in a very short verse there. One, it says that we're being revived again, which means um, that we previous were previously were alive. Um, it's also saying that He's doing it, which sounds simple, but we don't always get that message. We sometimes think we can do it. We sometimes think we can work it up. We sometimes think we can produce it. We sometimes think we can... Uh, make the circumstances, you know, make it happen, but ultimately it's a request from us and granted by Him to make us come back alive again. And the purpose is so that we have joy in Him again. And that's the hardest one of all because we don't want to admit sometimes that we have lost our joy. And um, David, I love the psalm where... Um, David had failed terribly and had repented and cried and wept and 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 just really, you know, humbled himself before God. And he said, Lord, will you please restore the joy of my salvation? You know, it takes a lot to admit. We want to say, well, man, I've got the joy of the Lord it's my strength. You know, um, I'm just full of joy. And uh, sometimes the best thing we can do is, is have a reality and have a reality check and say, you know what, I'm not the highest level of joy I've ever been in the Lord. There are times that I've served the Lord that I had a lot more excitement. There were times that I served the Lord that I was more eager to get to church than I am now, more eager to pray than I am now more eager to do the things of God than I can do now. And so I say, well, gather myself together, and I'm going to make myself like that again. But this psalm says that that's not how it happens, that God is the one that restores the joy, and we need to ask Him to do it, and He, he, he wants to do it. That's why He wrote this psalm to us as a, as a love letter to say, hey, I can restore you know, what the enemy has taken away. How I many would agree that uh sin caused David to lose his joy? And so it's not always the exact sin that he committed. Sometimes it's not sin at all. Sometimes it's negligence. Sometimes it, there's lots of reasons um, why we need to be revived again. But clearly the psalmist is saying, Lord, revive us again. So let me look at the whole chapter here as we break it down. Um, in fact, uh this message kind of was born out of the fact uh, last night, Eddie and I were talking about revival. Um, he sent me a, a text telling me about the revival in Asbury College, and uh, I guess a lot of college students have been coming onto that campus, and they've been praying 24-7, and and just people are really drawing in, and it just seems like a real move of God. And several people are talking about how these students, uh, how, how many understand that if you have students that are seeking God, that uh, something happened there. One of the ways that I knew I was in the middle of a revival, Ryan, when we took that first group up to that revival, there's nothing in the world that would have caused those kids to want to stay up all night and worship, was there? And so that's how you know it's God. When you know you can't twist somebody's arm and make them do what they're doing, you know that God is in this thing and God is filling them full of the Holy Spirit and and, and God's the author of it. And um, so how many want that? How many want... God to bring that kind of revival from heaven. Um, one of the things that I, before I read the chapter here, um, how many have ever heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Uh, he's kind of a stuffy, <laughs> that's not fair to him, he's not a, not around anymore, but he was a Presbyterian, um, Calvinist minister, um, a great theologian, I mean one of the greatest theologians of our generation. Uh, he was a medical doctor and he became a minister and uh, he was the uh, pastor of Westminster Chapel in London for about 30 years and one of the most respected theologians ever. And In all of his years of study, a good man, a godly man. But, like I said, for him to come up with this quote is very, very awesome. He, in all of his years of study, here's the conclusion he came up with. I am profoundly convinced that the greatest need in the world today is a real heaven-sent revival in the church. All of his years of study, that's the conclusion he came to. I think it's still true today. Let me read it again. I am profoundly convinced that the greatest need in the world today is a real heaven-sent, that's key, Heaven sent revival, and I don't want to leave off the end, in the church. Because sometimes we think it needs to be out there, but revival is something that was alive that needs to come alive again. And so it's not out there, it's in here. And we have to, we have to come to terms with that reality, that the thing that holds back revival is the church. The church needs to be revived. It's not the world that needs to be revived it's us. And that's really the beginning of seeking it. Now as you look at this chapter, it says, you Lord, this is verse 1. I think by reading the rest of this chapter, you can get the mechanics of revival. Like what are the mechanics that uh, produce revival? You know, because a lot of times we think we know. You know, we think we know how to orchestrate it or, or, you know, produce it. And, And this chapter really... Um, gives a good outline on how to have a revival. In verse 1 it says, You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Now most commentators will say that this psalm was written during the period of time when Israel had been restored back to their land. So the time period of Ezra and Nehemiah and so they've been restored back to the land and God was showing them favor. So we see the favor on the believers. But how many remember in that story that they got back in the land, they started to build and then they forgot repeatedly and for years. And so God restored their favor and, and God, you know, showed his pleasure to them. Restored their fortunes, and then they forgot about him again. And so they immediately went back to um, life as usual, and not really seeking God. How I many know oh, that's easy to do? Even that something as miraculous as God bringing you back. And I was thinking about this this morning. Um, how did it all happen? You know, how did this whole... Where did it begin that God left them? When did they realize that God was gone? And I go back to Ezekiel in chapter 10, I believe it is, and that's what I was thinking about this morning. Ezekiel was having a vision and he was looking at the temple of God. And as he was watching the temple of God, something amazed him he watched the Shekinah glory, which is the presence of the Lord, leaving the temple. Now you say, well, Jerusalem was destroyed shortly after that and they had left God. But do you know that the reason the temple was destroyed was because he left? It wasn't he laughed, "Oh no, something bad's going to happen." The judgment happened because he wasn't there. And if you can picture it this way, picture the presence of God you know in the form of Jesus Christ, because that's the only human form we have of God. It's Jesus cloaked in human form, and just picture him with his bags packed and him just leaving his his house. And he's just walking out of the temple and turns around, one last look, and says goodbye. And he leaves and nobody even notices. Nobody notices that he's gone. Nobody cared that he was gone. In fact, Ezekiel in one other vision was digging. He said, dig, dig. He said, what am I digging for? He just keep digging. And he finally goes into the Holy of Holies and he sees the elders of Israel. And he says, I want you to see what they're worshiping in my house. And he sees all kinds of idols, uh, you know, against God. They were worshiping things that weren't God. And, um, so that's where, that's kind of the end. You know, once, the Spirit of God, once the presence of God, once God Himself, and I use the form of Jesus so you have a physical way to think about it, but the Spirit of God is what left. We've seen it leave and leave the temple and it was called Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. And, um, so I just think about that in the context of us. And, um, I remember Moses, back in the day when God first deposited the Spirit of God in that temple, in that tabernacle, as it was called at that time. And I remember uh, the the golden calf where Moses left to go in the presence of God on the mountain and uh, spent so many days there that they decided to build a golden calf and they had a party and were dancing and and it says they rose up to play. And... um, I remember Moses came down, and after that, God withdrew himself. In fact, he wouldn't come back. He just basically told Moses, you and I will do this together, and we'll leave the people here. And Moses argued and argued and argued with God. I mean, he interceded for the people, and he said, God, you promised. So what will the people think if you leave these people here in the wilderness, and he argued with God and interceded for the people, and and he said, God, I won't leave here without you. And uh, Moses just interceded in such a way. But do you see the nature of God to withdraw himself? I mean, God literally was threatening to Moses to withdraw himself from the people and not return to them. Moses was his friend. He was with Moses. He said, you and I will do it together, Moses. But Moses said, no, the people. You know, don't withdraw yourself from the people. And Moses could have had the presence of God himself, but God wanted the people to have the presence of God. And that's what reviving us again means. It means that God's Spirit has a tendency, if abandoned or forgotten, or um, or if we're in such a state that God can't be here with His presence, that He'll just leave whether we notice it or not. And we'll be left to do everything in our own power, and in our own strength, and in our own abilities and uh I don't have to really go through that in my teaching do I where our strength and our power and our abilities how much they can possibly do and so I'm not saying that we do that I'm just saying that we have the spirit of God but we want God's full presence to be with us we want God to restore his presence in a way that is tangible and powerful and real And we just don't want a little bit here and a little bit there. We want God's full presence, and we need His full presence. We have a need for revival. And so as we go through here, it says, Lord, You showed favor to the land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of Your people. See how that's all past tense? And You covered their sins. So God, You brought us in the land. You set aside Your wrath. You turned from Your fierce anger. And you restored us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Good. Everything's good, right? That's the past. Then it says, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord. So what is going on here? He did all this in the past. But now, here it is again, that they're at the same place they were before. So they came into the land, God showed his favor, God showed his pleasure, God, uh, in fact, to show favor means to show your pleasure, to forgive a debt, to, and, and he covered them over, he took care of them. But here they are in the land, and now they've forgotten about him again, and he's asking, God, will you do it again? Will you revive us again? Will you bring us back to life again? Will you bring back the joy? Now, do you think they were happy when they came back in the land? (laughs) They were so happy and so joyful and God was so real. And then they got into the land and just over the period of time, this is what happens. We begin to fall back into the world. And so they're asking again, Lord, will you please restore us again? Lord, will you revive us again? So what is revival? Sixteen times, though, the word is used in the Old Testament. And each time it means to live, have life, remain alive, sustain life, be quickened from sickness, be quickened from discouragement, faintness, or death. To be restored to life or health and the cause to grow. Now that is hard words. Because revival is for believers. So if that thing's used sixteen times in the Old Testament and it's pointed directly toward believers, not unbelievers, that means we need to have life. We need to remain alive. We need to sustain life. We need to be quickened from sickness. We need to be quickened from discouragement. We need to be quickened from faintness or death. And we need to be restored to life or health. And we need to grow. So, what causes us to not seek revival? I think it's because we think we're okay. I think we think things are good the way they are. Uh, my last couple of messages, Eddie's last couple of messages, I'm trying to think of the titles of the different ones from everybody, but a lot of them have been about cold hearts, weariness, tiredness, needing rest, faintness, not dying, How many have noticed that pattern? And I believe the Holy Spirit's leading in those messages because we're looking around the church as a whole, not just this church, but the church as a whole in America, and we're noticing those trends. How many would agree that's, you know, dying, faintness, weariness? Um, We need revival. (laughs) We have a need that is incredible. And we're fooling ourselves. We're thinking things are okay, and we can lock ourselves in this position in cruise control, and we can say, you know, everything's fine. Everything's all right. I'm doing well. And um, we may be doing better than the ones around us. That's debatable whether we are or we aren't. But things certainly aren't all right. And our level of desperation reflects what we believe to be our circumstances. If we believe our circumstances around us are okay, then we have a low level of desperation. But if we believe that um, we desperately need the Lord, then we'll desperately seek the Lord. And so we need, our reality needs to line up with our desperation. Um. Our definition of revival is all over the place, I'm sure. Here's one I really like. It's not even a definition, it's just a person's uh, eyewitness account. But uh, one of the ladies who was asked 70 years after the Welsh Revival, 70-year anniversary, she was asked what the Welsh Revival meant that ended in 1906, and this was 1976. What did that revival mean, and is it over? And here is her quote. She said, it's still burning within my heart. It's never been extinguished. It's been burning for 70 years. You know, that's real revival. Something changes inside your heart in a real revival And it literally will burn for a lifetime. It'll burn for a lifetime. So what are some of the mechanisms here for revival? Well, number one, God was showing His favor. You can't avoid that. God was showing His favor. And very simply, favor favor means, look it up here, to be pleased with, to satisfy a debt, to be accepted or acceptable, to accomplish, to set affection, to approve, to pardon, to delight, to enjoy, to take pleasure in and to reconcile. Two things they say favor is acceptance and affection. Is it possible that when God turned away from Israel, that he stopped showing his acceptance and his affection. Now, it doesn't change that God loves us. God loves us with an everlasting love. But is there a point where God says, I don't accept this? And with Ezekiel, I think it's really clear God didn't like the fact that they were doing exactly what the nations around them were doing. They were worshiping the same pagan idols. And, uh, and, and the hard thing is, and I, and I know this is a hard message. I always enjoy the easy ones. <laughs> but we've got to self-reflect. We've got to say, is God pleased and does He delight? Does He take pleasure in us? And that doesn't mean that we're sinless. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means, are we pursuing God? Are we living a life of separation? Are we living a life... um, The word holiness just means to be separated. And one thing I know for sure about those old revivals is they really taught holiness. They taught what it meant to be separated for a purpose. And so if favor means acceptance and affection, I want God to look down on me first and as many in our church as is possible and say man i accept I, i accept how they're living their life and you say well man i don't know if i've ever thought of it that way but how many know this revival chapter begins with his favor which means his acceptance and affection and his love and god definitely has an expectation for us you know he definitely has written that word, and and we're supposed to read that word and apply that word to our life and live that word out, and and um, and I think uh, through his grace and through his mercy, we can live a life that is acceptable to God, and I think he has an expectation, and so the first part of it is is the Lord showing his acceptance and the Lord showing his affection. How many have ever felt the Lord's affection? And the only way I really know to... I don't, I don't always receive His affection when I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> but I certainly receive His affection when I worship. And it's one thing to say, I love the Lord. But it's another thing for the Lord to say, I love you. How many know that? Have you ever been around a person that couldn't say, I love you? And you're constantly saying, I love you. But just once, one time, could you just tell me you love me? And it it, and it means something when God says, I love you. And we hear that voice and we hear that affection and we know that He loves us and we have His favor and we have His love. And the only way I know to do that is to be a true worshiper. Like to enter His presence the way He asked us to, which is His acceptance, and then when in His presence, hear His voice. And so the beginning of a revival chapter is that it's the favor of the Lord. The Lord showed us His favor; He restored the fortunes. You forgave our iniquity; you covered our sins. You know that's the beginning of revival. Is like taking those things serious. Say, so, well, we all do that. How I many you know when we start venturing away from God, this is what Israel was not doing. They were not drawing close to it's a simple stuff. This is simple. Favor of the Lord, restore our fortunes, forgive our iniquity, cover our sins. You know, it's hard to be forgiven of your iniquity if you never repent. You know, if you never sit in God's presence and say, I'm sorry. That's repentance. If you've never done anything that you're sorry about, then it's hard to repent. But I, I, I can repent. How I many can repent? And the church doesn't repent anymore with real tears and real repentance and real sadness. And, and uh, we don't repent for ourselves. So if we don't repent for ourselves, how can we re- repent for our society? I mean, don't you think it would be pleasing to God to hear every once in a while, God, I'm so sorry for the way we treat you. But see, here's what happens. If we neglect Him day after day, then here's Him packing the bags, and there He is leaving His house. The glory of God departs and we don't notice. And That's, that's the worst, saddest thing in the whole Bible. Is the spirit of God leaves and nobody notices, and so Ezekiel got got to watch it. He was watching that in a vision, the glory of God departing from the temple. He watched where it left and he watched where it went. And then he sees another vision where he sees it come back, you know, in the future. But we've got to really be careful that that doesn't happen because that's um, when your spirit leaves your body. What happens? you're dead physically that is true when the spirit leaves the body that's when you're pronounced dead when the spirit begins to leave the church it's the same thing you say well man we can still do the rituals we can still do we we, we can still go every sunday we can still do all the things we need to do but here's the thing if the spirit leaves us We're a dead church. In fact, you look at some of the things that he says. He says to the church of Sardis, You have a name that you live, but you are dead. These are the churches he's giving us as examples of what he found when he came back to the churches. He said, You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Church of Laodicea. He called them to repent because they thought they had need of nothing. Is that possible that we think we have need of nothing? They were really proud and haughty. They were like, we have everything. We've grown up in this our whole life. We need nothing, you know. Could that be us? Is that possible that that's us? I'm asking me. We've got to reflect and say, man, are we possibly thinking that we're sufficient without the Holy Spirit, without His presence going with us? Um, Ephesus, they lost their first love. And think of the things that he found when he came back to the church that he warned us about. Don't let this be you. You know, we have everything we need. We think we're alive, but we're dead. We... We're not, we're not really in love with God anymore. We're not passionate. That's what Ephesus was. Ephesus was a great church. In fact, they had the greatest pastors that you could ever have at Ephesus. They were, But they had lost their first love. And these were churches that were working hard, doing the right things. And this is what Jesus found when He came back. So some of the purposes of revival... Here's some symptoms that we're in need. Because what, what do we do? We say we don't. We don't have a need. Complacency is a symptom. So we have to look within, first of all. Are we complacent? Self-satisfaction? Everything's okay the way it is. That's what complacency is. How often do we do that? Everything's okay the way it is. I mean, what if this was the last day before eternity? We knew it was the last day before eternity. Would we be that complacent? I don't think we would. I don't think we'd be that complacent with people we love, the condition of the world around us. Apathy for the mission. Apathy for the mission is a symptom. It's a symptom that we need revival, that we need to be revived, that we need to be brought back to life, that we need to be brought back to the first things, that we need to realize that we have need, that we need to make sure that uh, uh, we don't look alive but we're dead. Sins that are hidden in secret within the church. How many think that there's things hiding out in here? Oh, a game. Scavenger hunt. How many think that we've gotten... See, this is what they did. They were getting okay with sin. They were getting okay with hiding it. They were getting okay with bringing it into the house of God and not dealing with it. That's why there was no repentance. That's why nobody was at the altar, you know, repenting. And saying, well, man, it's been a lot of years since I've seen somebody at the altar repenting. That's what I'm saying. We need revival. Because otherwise we have to assume that nobody's done anything wrong. <laughs> that we've all been perfect. And I know that's not true. Um, this hurts me. It hurts me. You know, I want to see revival so badly. How about hatred within the body? Hatred and disagreements and just anything that's not love in the body. How I many you know that's a symptom that we need revival? That's a symptom that, man, that. Love growing cold is a number one symptom. When you see the love growing cold and we're getting the same temperature as the world, man, it's time. Our need is great. And how many agree with me that there's never been a greater need than this moment in time, right now? How about unforgiveness? How many have ever been hardened in that state, cemented in the state of unforgiveness and it's hard to budge? What, what breaks that? If there's not a great move of God, if there's not a great anointing of the Holy Spirit to break, to break that, then we're going to be cemented in that state for a lifetime. How many want to be cemented in a state of unforgiveness against your family? How many want to be cemented in unforgiveness with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your neighbors, with your co-workers? And you say, well, man, I'll just break it. Man, good luck. I think we need revival because I think that state is all over the place. All over the church, all over the world, man. We need a revival of forgiveness and repentance. And oh man, I I may remember what it's like to walk in and the Holy Spirit before a person could say a word. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's already working, and the power of the Holy Spirit is breaking hearts, uh, tearing them asunder. <laughs> oh man, I love revival. I got excited when you sent me that message, you know about revival. How about um, being filled with pride? Sometimes I wonder how proud we are in church. You know, we think we we have it all figured out. That's all of us. We know how it's supposed to work. We're we know how it's supposed to happen. We, you know, we are. Um, and sometimes that's the biggest example of our need. You know sometimes it's good just to say, "I don't know." And I think that's why fasting is such an important component of revival is we've got to somehow say, "I just and no, I don't have the answers at all. It's not within me. God, I need you, I need you, I need you, please help." Sometimes we, uh, in our hour of greatest need, when we're in decline spiritually, we don't realize that we're weak. In fact, Samson in Judges 16.20 said, Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. How many times do we do that? Listen to the pride. He awoke. Number one, the church uh, awakes quite often from their sleep. They shake themselves, and they say, I'll go out as before and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. I mean, no, we in our greatest need, our greatest hour of need, sometimes we don't know we've spiritually declined. And so it's necessary for revival to shake us, wake us, let us know that we're not, we don't have that strength anymore. And we need to know that we're not where we need to be spiritually. We need a move of God. We need a real, true, just like that Martin Lloyd Jones said, we need a heaven sent revival in the church. Hallelujah. Praise God. There was a great um, teacher of revival that was giving a lecture. On revival, and a young man got caught up in the moment, and he said, um, "What can I do? What can I do to, because I I realized this great need, this great need for revival. What is it that you would instruct me to do?" And he said, "You can let it begin with you. Let it begin with you." You know, and and sometimes we get lost in the fact that we want to see the world have revival. And we'll sit and we'll say, well, man, if only the church did this, if the church did that, or if, you know, we did this over here, we did this over there. And what we neglect is that really all it is is repentance with each person that each person needs to repent and draw closer to God, begin to cry out to God for revival, and then maybe you'll find another person that's crying out for revival. And then maybe you'll find another person that's crying out for revival. And and that's what's happening at Asbury College right now is you've got several people that are beginning to cry out together. They don't have the answers. They don't have anything orchestrated. They just all of a sudden, the Spirit of God fell, and people that have been crying out for revival are crying out together. They're all saying the same thing. Every revival I've ever studied, they cried, and they cried, and they cried, and the cry was... Lord, we don't know. We don't understand. We don't have the answers. We need You. We need You. We need You. We need revival. God, we need You to do something. Lord, we're sorry for our sins. Lord, we repent. Lord, we need You. And that's what it means to cry out for revival. And I'm so thankful that there is a psalm in the Bible that gives us the instructions. The revival psalm. Psalm 85. Know it well. Pray it well. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we call out to you, Lord. Lord, uh, first we want to apologize, Lord, for our pride. Lord, I just pray that we would lay it all down and recognize we have nothing, Lord. Our intelligence, Lord, our wisdom. Unless it's in you, Lord God, it means nothing, Lord God. And Father, right now, we call upon you, Lord. We are in a land, Lord, that is dry and parched and sinful and far, far, far away from you, Lord God. Lord, we need to be revived once again, Lord God. Once again, once again, Lord. Just like the children of Israel, Lord God, they were celebrating you, rejoicing you, Lord. God, happy, Lord, in your presence. And, Lord, they drifted away, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that you begin to expose the error of our ways, Lord. Lord, we value, we treasure your presence, Lord. Lord, we invite you, Lord God, please come back, Lord, to our nation. Lord, I pray right now that this message, Lord God, from You, Lord, through Your Word, that it would light a fire in our hearts, Lord God, to uh, seek revival more than anything else in life, Lord. Revival from heaven, revival that's real. Father, bring alive that which is dead, Spirit begin to move in your people, begin to bring life, your words and our actions and our lives. Lord, we cry out, Lord God. Oh, church, just begin to cry out as we play this song. Let this be the beginning of your cry. Concentrate on those two things in your life. Acceptance by God. How I many you know uh, Leviticus is bro- broken up in two sections? Atonement and holiness. Atonement is that whole section of Leviticus that talks about how the blood of Jesus literally creates a path to God. And so our acceptance is broken fully found in Jesus Christ by receiving His forgiveness His sacrifice the Bible says we can come boldly into His throne room if we have His acceptance how do we get His affection the Bible says if you delight in Him He will delight in you So when the Lord becomes the delight of your life, when being in His presence is the joy of your life, that that affection just flows from the throne of God. It's like sitting on your father's lap and just hearing Him dance over you and sing over you and speak over you. That's where God... Everything in this Word was to get us to that place where we delight in Him and we receive from His throne, His love, His um, relationship with Him. Hallelujah. That's how simple revival is. In fact, in that uh, psalm it says, uh, Lord, we pray that we don't go back to our folly, which means go back to the way we used to live. And so God's calling us back to Him. Uh, a lot of those churches were doing a lot. They were busy. He was saying, I see the things you do, and I know the things you do, and I see all of your works. And, but He was telling them they lost their first love. He was telling them they look alive, but they're dead. He was telling them, you know, that you're not in need of me. And so the real cure is, in the delighted in Him. Delight in his presence, delight in his word, delight in being with him and not religion. God wants to know you, he wants to be with you, he wants to spend time with you. And there's no possible way that the Lord is going to leave. His presence is going to depart when he's that precious to you. And that's where God wants us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's be there. Let's do it. Let's see the need. And, and get this, when you have his ear, when you're in his presence and he delights in you, he said, ask me anything according to my will. So I beg of you, ask him for revival. <laughs> ask him for revival. Ask him that he won't go from this place, that his presence will go with us. Not just with us, but with Everybody. When You have his ear cry out for revival. Let him hear that in his ear, the one that he delights in. Lord, bring us revival. Lord, bring us back to life. Lord, bring back the joy of our salvation. Bring it back so your people can rejoice with you again. Hallelujah. That's a prayer according to his will. Have I ever heard one? Hallelujah. And he said, I'll do it if you ask according to my will. I'll do it hallelujah let's pray father right now you said your uh, children are like the dew of the morning lord that they're always there in your presence like clockwork lord put your people in your presence lord do not ever depart from us lord god lord bring revival back alive again Lord so that we may rejoice again we may have our joy back Lord that we had in the beginning Lord that the energy to serve you to live for you to love you restore it Lord in greater measure than we've ever had it Lord do this mighty work Lord God according to your will and according to your glory Lord God pray these things in your name and everybody said